Good morning. Don't worry, I'm not speaking. Um, I'm just introducing the speakers. Um, so Heidi is not here. She's spending time with her newest grandbaby. So we are going to um, have three testimonies this morning. We have Beth Gromish. She's going to come speak to us first, and then we're going to have Nikki and Jackson and Ashley Teeth. And um, each of these women have walked through very different circumstances in their life, um, but in a unique way, you'll be able to see God's sovereignty, um, which fits in perfectly with what we're studying with Esther. So I'm really looking forward to hearing these testimonies. Um, so if you could just help me welcome our ladies this morning. I'd rather sing. <laughs> I thought maybe I could do this without my glasses, but I don't think I can. I had, it's really big. You can probably read it from out there. <laughs> I grew up in California. Uh, I was just there about 12 hours ago. <laughs> um, I went to church my whole life. I went to Christian school um, in middle school, and most of my friends were Christians. When I was in ninth grade, my parents got divorced, and so I went back to public middle school. And I would say that I was at a point where things could have definitely gone the wrong direction. But God sent this tall, dark, handsome, Corvette-driving football player <laughs> who also happened to be a Christian um, into my life. Uh, he was allowed to date girls who weren't necessarily believers, um, but Pat Gromis had a rule. They had, he had to bring them to church or, you know, just start working on them or move on. <laughs> so after about a month of dating, which really wasn't dating because I was 14, um, I could do group things or I could go to church, which was perfect to be with Jeff Gromis. And so um, we did that. And about a month into that, he asked me um, if I were to die, where would I go? And I guess he had anticipated my lame answer because he already had an appointment for us to go see Pastor Lyle the next night. And so um, we did that. And I would say up to this point, I knew a lot about God. I just didn't really know him. I didn't have a relationship. Um, so pastor pointed out that I was indeed a sinner um, and that I needed a savior and that night I surrendered my life to Christ and I remember I was so relieved because I was surrounded I had been surrounded by all these Christian people I knew that I hadn't really done what I needed to do to go to heaven or you know to be a believer and um, so it was a relief and I just believe that God sent Jeff into my life at a really pivotal time um, so about four years later, we completely shut down Jeff Gromis's dating ministry <laughs> um, when we got married in uh, July of 1979. Um, we had five kids. Megan is 36. She's one that lives in California, and she has two kids. She's a pediatric dentist. Hillary does my hair. Um, and she's, all the rest of them are here. She's 35 and has a little two-year-old boy. She's married. Caitlin is 31, married, and has an 11-year-old daughter, and she also does hair. Cole, our only son, who's single and very handsome, and <laughs> but, <laughs> um, he's a lot like his dad. Uh, he has a landscaping business. And Madeline, um, our youngest daughter, is 22. She just graduated from college and got married and is going to nursing school. Um, I would say we had a really normal life. Our kids would joke that we had so many kids so that um, Jeff would have people to work in the yard and <laughs> scrap out houses when he was um, doing jobs. Um, he, we had a boat, and like nobody could leave until everything's out of the boat, and the boat's wiped down. I mean, he was very old school about that, and I love that about him. Um, he bought that fancy Corvette he had himself because um, he started working when he was 13. I remember... I didn't know him, I knew his brother, because I went to school with him, but I remember I would see him like walking. He walked to work to like this tree farm. Anyway, yeah, he was, he was a little worker bee. Um, but he was always in construction and God was always faithful to our family. Um, I'd look, we'd look back in amazement and be so thankful for God's provision in our lives. Um, as long as I can remember, Jeff had a heart murmur he had a leaky valve that caused that, and we knew that that would have to be fixed. Um, the goal was to repair it, 
um, before it needed to be replaced. And so um, in about 2008, he had some testing done because um, there was a new procedure they could do, and they determined that he could have that done, but we just kept putting it off. Life was busy, and you know, he just thought there was a better time later to have surgery. Um, in June of 2012, he started to experience um, AFib and um, was actually diagnosed as being a congestive heart failure. Um, fluid was building up around his chest, or his heart, and he just, he felt terrible. And so um, he was good about going to the doctor. Um, his GP and his two cardiologists all said, you know, this is really bad. If you didn't look so good, we'd put you in the hospital. And we even joked that we would put that on his tombstone um, because he, you know, he was really sick, but he really didn't look sick. Um, but they decided it was time to fix the valve. So the surgery was scheduled for July 24th. Um, the week before that, um, our kids sent us to the beach for our 33rd anniversary. And um, he was very, you know, he was a ducks in a row list maker, completely not like me. And um, so we were talking about how the next few weeks would look. And um, he was excited because his warehouse that he worked out of had sold, which was kind of weird for that time. Um, real estate was not doing well, especially commercial real estate. Um, but he was going to kind of scale things down and either work from home again or just get a smaller place. Um, we had um, redone our loan on our home, and um, our payment was cut in half. So he was really relieved about that. Um, and then he told me that he had figured out there was this um, payment that would always come out of his business account. And I would say, what is this for? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, I can't call because it's in your name. So anyway, he finally called, and it was actually a small life insurance policy. And I said, well, we have life insurance. So I said, you know, are you going to cancel it? And he said, no, I'm just going to wait till after my surgery. So the day of surgery arrived. Um, it was supposed to last four to six hours, but ended up taking over seven, well over seven. Um, but Dr. Skipper said that the repair went well, and um, he had done another procedure to deal with um, Jeff's AFib. Um, he said Jeff had a big heart, which I knew, and, but he's not enlarged, just a big heart. And so he said that's why it had taken longer than they had anticipated. Um, they said they'd call me up to see him as soon as he was awake. Um, they finally called me up, but he wasn't awake. They said that his um, blood oxygen levels were not quite where they wanted him to be, so they're going to go ahead and let him rest. And I had been there since about 4.30 that morning, so they said, just go home, come back in the morning, and he'll be fine. Um, a little past midnight, they called, and they said that I needed to come back. Um, I had to sign papers for a procedure they were going to do. So Cole and I headed back to the hospital, and they explained that they were going to put him on an ECMO machine, um, which would allow them to bypass his lungs um, and let them rest. They felt like his lungs had been traumatized during the surgery because it had gone so long. Um, he would have to remain sedated and paralyzed while he was on this. This machine is basically life support. I didn't know that at the time, but that's what it is. And um, it just buys him some time. Um, they said I should probably call everybody I knew. And um, I remember Cole saying, well, should, should we call Megan? And I was like, no. It's, and they're like, yeah, you should call her, and she should probably come. So I knew then that we had crossed over into uh, more serious territory. Um, that night began a roller coaster ride unlike anything I'd ever experienced. Um, he went from critically stable at best um, to almost losing him twice. He had his blood volume replaced four times in one night. It was harrowing to say the least, but as awful as it was, it began a season of seeing how amazing the people of God are. From nonstop prayer to visiting, I mean, we filled, they filled that uh, the visiting room at the hospital, um, bringing us food, I mean, setting up meals in this one room one night. Christy Gouch came and brought like this whole spread and fed everybody. and. Um, putting us up in a hotel, 
um, making us laugh when we needed it, which was every day. Um, it was funny because a really good friend of mine, uh, who's really funny, um, her, her daughter was actually in the hospital the same week, um, and she was very sick. Um, and we just thought it was so weird that we were there together, but I think it was perfect. Um, my people visited her people and vice versa, and it was just, it was, it was neat. We were surrounded by God's love. On July 30th, um, Jeff had a good, critically stable day. Um, no crazy, you know, emergencies, signing things. It was just a kind of a calm day. And um, some of the kids and I visited. There's a house near CMC where um, the family of long-term patients can stay. And so we went and visited that because we thought that was probably going to ha need to happen. Um, but we decided to go home that night um, just to kind of regroup, get clothes, sleep in our own beds. Um, and we got another call late that night saying that we needed to come back, that his potassium levels were out of whack, and they needed to do another procedure. So we all headed back. And um, as I got to the elevator, I can still remember it really clearly, um, I just had this palpable sense of God's peace not that it's not like he said he's going to be okay it's just that I'm he, I'm with you through this and it makes me think of um, Psalm 91 54 he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart that night we took turns going in to see Jeff talking and praying and sleeping all piled up in this tiny little waiting room in the cardiac ICU. It is the smallest. It's, it's really just a closet with a couch and a chair. Um, but I mean, we were just piled up in there. Um, at one point I went in and one of the nurses was praying over him. She had her little Bible out and it was just so sweet. And I remember thinking, how do people do this without God? How do people do this without any sort of faith to know that there's something beyond this? Um, I don't know. Um, so early on the 31st, they were going to perform a test that would determine um, what was going on and where they would go next. Um, I saw this little machine get wheeled past the room, and then I saw it come back. And then I saw Dr. Skipper come and his really nice suit and I thought this is he's here for a serious talk um, the nurse came in to get me and said I could bring someone so the kids all elected poor Megan um, our oldest daughter and Dr. Skipper said they had basically done all they could do Jeff's body had basically given out at this point um, they would kind of fix <laughs> you know his heart would kind of be okay and then his kidneys were out of whack and then it was just like a constant you know shifting of which thing was going down. Um, he had had a stroke sometime in the night, and um, that was it. Um, I just remember the nurses were so kind. Um, most of them were crying and just really in disbelief. Um, they, they were all so fascinated by Jeff. Um, here he was, as handsome, tall, tan, muscular man compared to the fragile and frail elderly people in that unit. Um, they would ask about him all the time, trying to figure out what he was like. Was he a fisherman? <laughs> was he a fireman? Um, was he Gerald's brother? I mean, we, I mean, they were just like, who is this guy? Um, but one of the nicest things that they said was that even though uh, they didn't know him. They felt like they got to know him that week by watching his family and friends come through there, and I knew he would love that. I never got to see him awake again once he went into surgery. Evidently, the night he almost bled out, his sedation wore off, and he woke up. Um, they let him stay awake for a little while. He couldn't speak because of all the tubes and everything, but they told him we had all been there, and they played music they thought he might like. I wish I'd have been there for that. Uh, leaving the hospital was so hard. On our way out, I remember I ran, there was this woman who had taken us on the tour before, and she was so sweet, and she just, you, I don't know, she would just, 
I ran into her on the way out and she remembered me and she had heard what had happened and she was just like so distraught. It was just, I don't know, Jeff just had, he had that effect on people. They remembered him. Um, it was just, I don't know, it was sweet of her. Um, the next several hours, days and weeks were a blur. I don't think I've ever been so physically or emotionally exhausted. But one of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast more gladly in my weakness, so the power of Christ may rest on me. On my own, I had nothing left. It was truly the grace of God that sustained us and carried us through, still carries us through. Um, my kids have just been, I mean, the providence of God that I had these five kids, you know, that just... They're always there. There's always somebody there, which is good and bad. <laughs> but it's good. Most of the time, it's good. Um, while Jeff's dying left a giant hole, there's still much, so much good to focus on. Um, I've heard from many of his old friends who, you know, had he had impacted their lives because he was a different kind of, um, I mean, he was quiet, and he, but he was a strong believer. He was different than like your average construction guy. You know, he didn't drink and cuss and, you know, he was just a good solid guy. And um, so his friends, old friends contacted me when they heard about it and just said, you know, how this, what had happened to Jeff had really impacted their lives. Um, I've seen firsthand how the church surrounds and supports someone going through such a difficult time. I was, was and still am um, humbled by the generosity of people. Friends from California that dropped everything to fly here for us. I still get cards and texts and phone calls from people who think of us on significant days. Um, one of my friends sent me a verse every day for the first year at least and even beyond. Um, and my prayer is that God will use me to minister to others the way that I have been ministered to. Do I wish there had been a different outcome? Do I question why some people make it through a similar situation and Jeff didn't? I'd be lying if I said no, but I know this. God is sovereign, and I know without a doubt that my only purpose on this earth is to bring him glory and to point others toward him. We've talked about God being a hero in the book of Esther, the hero. Um, well, God is the hero in this story as well. I told my kids early on that this is where the rubber meets the road. How you react to something like this is where your faith really plays a part. Um, day to day, I mean, surely your life is different as a Christian than your neighbors, but you know, you're all taking your kids to school, going to the grocery store, you know, struggling to make dinner. Um, but um, how you react to an adversity is really what sets the believers apart from the unbelievers, it should. Um, what happened to us is sad, but to waste this time to not use it for good would be a tragedy. I remember we were studying the book of John that year, and um, pastor said, peace is a vessel that carries us through the storm. We cannot avoid the storms. Instead, we need to be ready for the storms because they will come. Being here, doing things like this, being in the word, praying, those are the things that um, get you ready to weather the storm. Um, those are the constants. You know, when things felt like they were falling apart for me, um, it wasn't a self-help book that I went to, or it's just, okay, God is the same. God, is, you know, God's attributes and the things that I knew to be true were the things that um, carried me and my family through this time. Um, but I didn't just learn them right then. <laughs> I mean, they were, they were in there. And that's not to say that God cannot draw you to himself, you know, through a tragedy, because he will. But it's nice to have a little <coughs> preparation. Um, I, that made me think of um, John 16:33. I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I'd like to leave you with this passage from Charles Spurgeon. It would be a very sharp and trying experience to me to think that I have an affliction which God never sent me, that the bitter cup was never filled by his hand, that my trials were never measured out by him nor sent, sent to me by his arrangement of their weight and quantity. 
I am afraid that all the grace that I have got of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on a penny. But the good that I have received from my sorrows and pains and griefs are altogether incalculable. Affliction is the best bit of furniture in my house. It's the best book in a minister's library. Thank you. There's a lot more of you than it looks like from where I was sitting. <clears throat> Unlike Beth, I do not prefer, you prefer I don't sing this, so <clears throat> I will not sing mine. <clears throat> it's going to be hard enough to speak it. Um. Is that better? Wow, there's a lot of you. Um, I stand here humbled for the opportunity to share my story with you, and I thank Tammy for the opportunity that she has offered me to do this. Um, I can't start without praying, so if you will allow me to pray. Father, I come before you and I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this church, and I thank you for this group of ladies. I thank you for the freedom we have to come boldly into a place where we can be real and vulnerable with each other. God, I thank you for the testimony of so many lives, but God, I thank you for the lives that don't have to have such a tragic impact in their lives. God, their testimony is that you have brought them and saved them and redeemed them for all eternity. And so I pray that you will use the words that I share today just to minister and to um, encourage these ladies. And I, I am humbled by the opportunity, Father. Um, my name is Nikki Jackson. I am married to a very handsome, nice, good-looking guy. For It'll be 33 years this Friday. Um, I hope he remembers. <laughs> Terry, text him. Um, I get to be a mom to two beautiful daughters. I have a 28-year-old and a 24-year-old daughter. And I am Beamy to an adorable four-month-old grandson. Um, I am blessed. I am redeemed. I'm a daughter of the King, the Most High God. However, early in my life, that was not the enemy's plan for my life. But God, in his infinite wisdom and in his sovereignty and his power, had other plans. Um, I'm sure you probably can't tell I was actually born in England. And sovereign there means something totally different. It's Her Royal Highness. Um, I am not royalty. Um, I have a British birth certificate and an American passport, so I can attest that I am confused for some of the right reasons. Um, I have three sisters, and when I was five and a half years old, we moved to Germany. Um, my parents split up. My sisters and I did have a British accent when we moved to Germany. My dad was not in the military at that time. We did go to school on base with Americans, um, and my dad paid for that dearly, financially as well as emotionally, I'm sure. Um, and one of the challenges my sisters and I faced was that we had this accent that was different. And so we got to Germany, and the American kids would say, you sound funny. So we quickly had to adapt. We didn't want to sound funny. We didn't want to stick out. We had enough going on in our lives that our parents had split up at this point. My mom went back to England, and. Um, I only saw her three more times until she passed away, so we did not have this great dynamic mother-daughter relationship. Um, we were in Germany for a few years, and uh, my first experience with a Christian was my 75-year-old grandmother. I met her at the Pittsburgh airport for the first time, my older sister, me, two younger sisters. And she took us into her home, and she loved us unconditionally. And for the first time, I understood what a loving home looked like. Um, that was not to be a long experience for us. 18 months later, my three sisters and I were back in Germany. Um, we lived in an apartment, very small, one bathroom. One, four girls, one, one guy. Um, when I look back, I see the sovereign hand of God working through my kind, loving grandmother. And we went to First Baptist Church, New Brighton, every Sunday. We went without fail. Um, the remainder of my childhood was spent in England and Germany. The most of it was in Germany. Um, not much Christian influence over there, um, but I had a praying grandmother in Pennsylvania. I also didn't know that there was a precious godly woman in Georgia praying for her future daughter-in-law. Gary Scott knew her, and she can tell you what a wonderful lady she was. Her son, Forrest, was stationed in Germany. We met in 1983. We married in 1984. 
He tells me I'm the best souvenir he ever got in Germany. <laughs> I agree. Forrest had what I would call the Christian pedigree. Mom played the piano, sang, dad was a deacon, blah, blah, blah. Um, he was saved as a young boy. So Christianese church was not unfamiliar to him. He had strayed after he joined the military at 18 and his first assignment was Germany. Dark place, easy to stray. Um, I loved Forrest's family immediately and deeply and they were the family I had dreamed about my whole life, this perfect mom and dad and the vacations and the grandparents. Um, I loved his mother so much that it was easy for me to call her mom and she referred to me as her daughter in love. Um, I had her for 14 wonderful years and she impacted my life and my girls' lives in ways that I to this day can't count. Um, she joined the Heavenly Choir on October 27, 1998 and there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about her or miss her. Um, and my daughter and I have talked much about what Grandbaba would think about this sweet great-grandson that she has. Um, I need to back up a little bit. After we were married, Forrest and I moved back to Germany and we played church. We made sure we always had a bulletin because if mom called, I wanted to be able to have a reference of the songs we sang, how great thou art, and what scripture we talked about. We were so dumb, we were so dumb. <laughs> we thought we could fool her and all we did was prompt her to pray harder for us, I'm sure. Forrest served in the Air Force for 27 years and we moved on average every two and a half years. There was a time I thought perhaps we were in the witness protection program. Um, <laughs> And then I realized we didn't even have a witness to protect at that point in our lives. 1988, we were living in Germany. My husband had gone away for a month. He came back and his roommate had told him about this little church in a little German village, not far from the base, and he thought we should try it. I thought, well, okay, we can do that. And when I mean little, this is how much the, con this was the size of the congregation. So I had a beautiful leather Bible that mom and dad had given us for Christmas. My name was embossed in gold tabbed indexes. So I thought, I can fit in. I can blend in. I can do this. And I don't know if you've ever opened a Bible for the first time and the <laughs> kind of indicates that you probably have not opened that much. <laughs> so forget fitting in. And the dust that flew off was probably another indicator. Um, so Forrest helped me find Romans. I'm paying attention. And um, the pastor was preaching. And um, he used the word circumcision. <laughs> kind of freaked me out a little bit. I looked up. I'm expecting some other shocked look on somebody else's face because I'm thinking that's not a word we should speak out loud in church. Um, I looked at my husband. He didn't seem alarmed. I'm elbowing him like, I need to go. And he's pointing <laughs> that that word is, in fact, in the Bible. And I went, well, I wonder what kind of church this is. <laughs> so... I'm ready to get out of there as quickly as possible. And um, this was a small church, so the pastor is standing at the door telling everybody, thank you for coming, nice service, shaking your hands. My husband, being the military man, we do the proper introductions and I'm ready to go. And they strike up a conversation. Um, my husband is from Georgia. We're big Bulldog fans, please don't be offended. This pastor happened to be from Georgia, big Bulldog fan. and. Through this little conversation, the pastor asked if he could come to our apartment for visitation that week. Four said yes, didn't hesitate. I started to panic. So as we were driving home, we had a <clears throat> lively conversation. <laughs> I was lively, Forrest was not, he had a headache, he said. Um, <laughs> the words that I were saying were not, wow, I can't wait for this guy to come. It was, why does he want to come? He said, it's called visitation. I thought. I thought that's what you do when they're in prison. You go visit prisoners. Why is he wanting to come? We were in prison. We needed, we needed visitation. So Pastor Dean Spivey shows up. I'm trying not to panic. And it's this casual conversation about Georgia Bulldog football. And I'm starting to relax, thinking, this is good. I can do this. This is fine. Well, then he gets down to business. Why is he here? So Forrest rattles off the pedigree. And he looks at me, and I'm going, my grandmother goes to church. He's looking at me like, well, she's got a lot of work to do. And he asked that question, very similar to what Beth had shared. If you were to die right now, do you know for a fact you would be in heaven with the Lord? 
And I said, very confidently, well, I think so. And he said, you don't know so? I said, I think so. And why do you think so and not know so? Well, I haven't cheated on my taxes. I haven't killed anybody. And I'm a good person. And he, okay. Very kindly, very patiently, he took my Bible with those pages that creaked as they opened. No dust. Got rid of the dust. And he took me verse by verse through the plan of salvation, the redemptive plan that God has for each and every one of us. And I'm not going to stand here and say there was this bright light or this booming thunder, but similar to what Beth described, there was just this peace that came over me when he looked at me and said, is there any reason that you cannot pray right now and ask Jesus to be Lord of your life, surrender your life to him, and have that assurance that when you are asked that question, you can know that you will spend all eternity with him in heaven. And I thought, there is not one reason why. And so I prayed that simple prayer that had impacted and changed my life. Forrest rededicated his life that day. It was February 11th, 1988. Um, we were baptized February 14th, 1988. Before he, the pastor left that night, um, he said, is there anything I can pray for you about? Now, I, being very unfamiliar, not in a Christian home at all, thought, well, we've already said this great prayer. What else do we need to pray about? Forrest, Mr. Pedigree, he goes, well, we're having a really hard time getting pregnant if you give it. I'm like, why would you tell this man to pray about that? And again, I'm the only shocked one in the room. They're thinking, oh, okay, we can pray about that. I'm like, I, I don't know if we should pray about this. I'm not sure if that, shouldn't we be thee and thouing and not this help her get pregnant thing? We prayed. They prayed. I got pregnant in June of 1988. When Dean found out I was pregnant, he said, when is your due date? And I said, it's February 3rd. He said, oh, I hope that baby comes on February 6th because that's my birthday. Girls, I went into labor on the 3rd. She was born on the 6th. <laughs> Not a good plan. Uh, Dean came by the hospital, this little hospital in Germany on base, and said, did you name her Dina? I said, we are not pushing this with the name thing. I, I'm grateful that you prayed, and I'm thankful she's here. Um, contrary to popular belief, and um, I was the first Christian in my family. Dare I say I might be the only one at this point. I'm not sure we've struggled with that. But life is not perfect or free of struggles, and I don't think there's any one of us in here that could say it is. My perspective and my response to challenges changed dramatically after I became a Christian. I had a Savior that loved me. He died to, for me. I could run to him. I could pray to him. I could cry to him. I had hope in all circumstances. I look back on my life, and I see the spiritual markers, and I'm grateful for every single one of them. Forrest deployed a lot. Uh, we, we've been married 33 years. We say the reason we're so happy is we've probably lived together like maybe 10-ish. Um, so he was gone a lot and for long periods of time. And God provided for us through every church that we've ever been involved in, the Sunday school classes that have come alongside the girls and I. Um, he protected Forrest, protected us. Now I need to fast forward to 2004, because I know I've got to let Ashley get up here. Um, <laughs> the Lord opened a door for Forrest to teach at UNCC. And it was going to be a three-year assignment. And all we could think about was, Daddy won't be deployed. He'll be here for our birthdays and Christmases. And we're like, do it, do it. So we were very excited to move to, to Concord, North Carolina. Had never been here, didn't know much about it. Um, our oldest daughter was in 10th grade. She came home one day, and we had been visiting several churches. And she said, Mom, I saw this girl praying at lunch. I said, good. She said, I went up and asked her, where do you go to church? I said, really good. Um, <laughs> And she said she goes to Hickory Grove Baptist Church. I thought, okay, all right. So I did what I would normally do. I looked at it online. I said, oh, it's kind of big. It's really big. She was insistent. I said, you know, honey, I don't know if we go to this huge church. Like, if, she, if how are you even going to find your friend? I don't know about this. And God's going, how about you just let me handle this? And we did. So we were literally in the lobby for three minutes, standing there looking around, and we hear this voice, Rachel, and I'm like, and here this young lady comes running, grabs Rachel, takes her upstairs to the youth group, and that was it for us. Um, we were supposed to leave North Carolina in 2007. 
Our girls didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. I was tired of packing up and moving. Found out we weren't in the witness protection program, so we could stay. Watch a little landscape come and go. Our youngest was starting high school, and our oldest was looking at colleges. Um, Forrest had a huge decision to make, a career-changing decision. And for somebody that is as patriotic and dedicated as my husband is to the military, it meant he gave up a lot, a lot. We prayed a lot about that decision, and God gave both of us peace that he should retire from the Air Force. God's sovereignty continued to weave through our lives. I will jump now to March of 2009. I found a lump. I had a diagnostic mammogram scheduled. The doctor came in and he said, we are concerned. I thought, well, now I'm definitely concerned. If you're concerned, I'm frightened. We had a biopsy scheduled. Um, we had prayer warriors descend on our home the night before the biopsy. I have never experienced laying on of hands, praying passionately, fervently, and I thought, if there is cancer in my body, it is gone, because I know that these ladies have prayed this out. Um, the next morning I got up, was getting ready to go to the hospital, and I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me that when I get to the hospital, I should pray with the doctor. I said, oh, really? I think he should pray with me. <laughs> I don't recommend arguing with the Holy Spirit. It will be time wasted. Um, and this has happened to me several times over the years where I feel like the Holy Spirit ventriloquist dummy. I don't mean that in a disrespectful <laughs> way. The doctor comes in. He's saying all these things, sign here, sign here. And, and then he says, do you have any questions? And I said, can I pray with you? And he looked at me and went, Okay. He's a little puzzled, thought, well, you know, she's probably a little not stable. Um, so I prayed. No idea what I said, but I prayed. 26 hours later, that doctor would call me, and he would say, Ms. Jackson, we got the results from your biopsy, and you do, in fact, have cancer. He said, however, based on what I saw yesterday, you appear to be a woman of faith, and that's what you're going to need to get through this. And he was absolutely right. He was absolutely right. Again, God's sovereignty placed us in a home where we were five miles from one of the top 100 hospitals in this country. We have lived in many places around the world and around this country, and I can tell you there were some hospitals that I either, A, would not have wanted to be treated at or would have been an hour or longer journey to get to a major hospital for treatment. I'm five miles away from Northeast Hospital. Little did I know, 21 years earlier, God was preparing me for this battle. And there's a reason that we put on that full armor of God, and you've got to put it all on. It's got to protect you from the top to the bottom. I did experience his divine favor, his grace, and his healing. I was never alone. I had 16 rounds of chemo. They call it the chemo lounge, like it's a really fun place to hang out. It's not. Don't go there. Um, but there was always a, a, they called this, well, where's your fan club? There was no more than five to seven ladies. My husband, my children were there. Um, one of my fears was throwing up from chemo. I asked God to just allow me not to throw up. And I think every week the nurses were taking bets. This is going to be the week she's going to come in and say she threw up. I didn't throw up, girls, not one time. Not one time. Now, I was bald, but I didn't throw up. So... I remember when I was first diagnosed, it's similar to what Beth had shared, I had this peace that it was going to be okay. I didn't know what okay meant. Um, we had to do a lot of testing, and I remember praying to the Lord, and I said, you know God, like he doesn't know. So Rachel's a sophomore at App. Rebecca's a sophomore in high school. I think it would be so great if I could just, like, see them graduate, like, high school and college. Actually, Lord, Rebecca, if she could go to college and I could see that, that, you know, God, Rachel's got this really nice guy. And if, like, if they got married and I could be there for that, that would be cool. Well, Rebecca might want to get married one day and that would be great. You know what, God, I've always wanted to be a grandmother. Do you think we could just, like, he doesn't know. And um, all of those things have happened in my life and much more. So now my girls are going, what's the next prayer? And I'm like, well, great-grandmother? I don't know. <laughs> the cliche is true. After cancer, you do look at life differently. 
And I ask God to help me focus on the things that matter and to let go of those things that don't. Um, a few years after my mastectomy, I was diagnosed on March 27th, and I had surgery on April 9th. Um, July of 2011, I decided to go ahead and have reconstructive surgery. And Forrest had left a job and was anticipating working a job in Florida. He was going to be gone, but we were going to be here, and we were going to have this was our home base, and we were prepared for this. Um, and then the job fell through. So we've got a child in college, one in high school, and my husband doesn't have a job. On August 12th, 2011, my husband was taking our vehicles to be inspected because he didn't have a job, so he could do that. Um, and I had been feeling not great for a few days, and this is two and a half weeks after my surgery. And I told Forrest, I said, my calves are really hurting. Could you just massage my calves? Okay, if you ever have surgery, don't have anybody massage your calves. It's not good. Um, and that set off a meteor shower of clots in my lung. I sat in my family room and could not hardly breathe and couldn't understand it was on my right side, so I thought, I think I have pneumonia. I called the doctor. They said, well, come in at 11. I said, okay. The breathing got more and more labored, and I called Forrest. I said, I think you need to come home. He came home. He was like Larry Moe and Curly at the ER. We're running in, and the nurses come, and the police officer's parking the car, and the nurse is asking Forrest, and I'm like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And I remember before Forrest got home, I said, Lord, do not let me die in this house. I don't want my children to come home and go, that's where it was right there. She's, that's where she was. So God was again merciful, and we made it to the ER, and the doctor, they did some testing, and he came in and looked at me, and he was as white as those tablecloths. He said, there's no reason I should be speaking to you right now. And I said, really? He said, you have a meteor shower of clots in your right lung, and there are several in your left. I said, that sounds bad. <laughs> it's bad. So I was in the hospital for several days, and we got that fixed. Um, Cancer taught me a lot about myself and what I thought was important. A bad hair day is better than a no hair day. Remember that. Taught me a lot about God. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. He's merciful. He has overflowing loving kindness towards me and my family. We experience the love of Christ through his steadfast grace, abiding peace and presence like we could have never imagined. I don't think this side of heaven I can fully understand or appreciate all that Jesus has done in my life, but I'm eternally grateful. And my desire is to praise him, worship him, and share about the love, the peace, the freedom, and the hope we can have in Christ. There are so many scriptures that encourage me, but I want to share two. No creaking when it opens. The first one was Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not, do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And the other one was Proverbs twenty twenty four. A man's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his own way? And this scripture was on a paper that Heidi had given us before we started this. And I... I know God brought me to this verse. There were so many I could just share with you, but God really laid on my heart. And I have a life application Bible that I treasure dearly. And the footnote that corresponds to that says, we are often confused by the events around us. Many things we will never understand. Others will fall into place in years to come as we look back and see how God was working. This proverb counsels us not to worry if we don't understand everything as it happens. Instead, we should trust that God knows what he's doing even if his timing or design is not clear to us. I had to have some testing done because I was 45 when I was diagnosed. I had a mother that had breast cancer and her mother had it. I have two daughters, three sisters, and a niece. So the genetic testing was a, a big step. And I remember them saying, <clears throat> depending on the results of this, we might have to do further surgery and your children, your sisters, your niece will have to be very cautious as they go through life, as this could, could impact them in a, a powerful way as well. Went down to uh, CMC Maine and met with the genetic specialist, and 
the more conversations you have about cancer, the easier it is to talk about it. But in the beginning, I didn't even want to say those words. And so she's talking and she's asking me questions. I couldn't speak. So my knight in shining armor took over and he's explaining and they're doing this diagram and I'm like, this does not look good. And she looked at me and she said, this test will take eight to 12 weeks. There's one lab in Utah that does this testing. Please don't be alarmed if you don't get the results anytime soon. I thought, okay. I went in to see my surgeon and uh, that's when we were going to discuss treatment plan and what the results of the biopsy post the mastectomy look like. I remember laying on that table and he, he said, well, unfortunately it's stage 3A. And I went, does it go up to like Z? <laughs> no. So I was at least an A for something. Um, and, and he said, I'm, I'm sorry, and that will change the treatment plan that we had talked about initially. I said, okay. And he stepped out, and my phone rang, and I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was still kind of reeling from that word because we had really thought it was going to be like stage zero or one. Um, and Forrest answered my phone, and it was this lady in Charlotte, and he said, well, she can't really speak right now. Well, the nurse came in. You get to know people really close after you go through stuff like this. And she said, well, take the call. And I said, I just can't. And Forrest goes, well, it was that girl at the hospital. I said, I can't take any more bad news today. I can't. And Forrest said, just call her. And it's one of those moments where I'm like, okay, why? I'm laying in that bed, and I called her, and she said, how are you doing? And I said, well, you could have a direct impact on that. How am I doing? She goes, well, I've never had results come back in nine days, but they're negative. You don't have that gene, and your girls and your sisters and your niece should be able to live a normal, happy, healthy life, praise the Lord. And I thought God in his providence allowed me to get the sucker punch to the gut that it's stage 3A, but then he said, but it's not going to impact you any further, and hopefully your, your girls and your sisters and your niece will be spared. The Lord has answered the cries of this mother's heart so many times in the 29 years that I have been his. He will answer yours. I think about the opportunity we have to gather here and to encourage one another, and, you know, us older moms can attest that you girls are dealing with stuff that we never had to deal with, and... Just stand firm in what you know to be true. Don't compromise. And if there's anybody here today that if you were asked that question that I was asked 29 years ago and you couldn't answer it with absolute assurance in a positive way, don't leave here today with any doubt. Don't come talk to me or Beth or Tammy. There's many ladies here that would love to share with you, your leaders. Um, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to think. You can know. So... I thank you for allowing me to share this with you today. I brought my glasses too, hoping I would not need them. I'll let you know in a minute. Because mine are not as cool as Beth's, I can tell you that. <laughs> so um, God in his providence allowed me to go last because it helped me realize after they both spoke, I'm like, oh, I kind of have left out a key part of my testimony, which is um, I was saved as a young child. <laughs> and um, because of that, um, the Lord has just done a sanctifying work in my life through the years. I had the blessing of having just such a godly heritage with a mom and um, a grandmother that has prayed for me and have loved me and have, has shown me what it's like to, to walk with the Lord. So um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Ashley Teague, a member here at North Campus. My husband and I, Wayne, uh, my husband Wayne and I teach a Sunday school class. We've been married for almost 28 years, and uh, we have beautiful twin girls that are in their first year of college. So that's kind of some context for, for where we're going with this story. Um, so God's sovereignty never changes, even though our circumstances do. Uh, because God is caring and sovereign, our suffering will not be meaningless or without purpose, as Heidi noted last week in one of our points. In our home, we would say, um, don't waste the pain. 
Um, that's one of our teagisms. If you're in our Sunday school class, you know exactly what that is. If you're not in our class, basically it's uh, one-line phrases we use in our house to keep us gospel-centered. Had I been asked to give this testimony 20 years ago, I would have told you how God was sovereign through five years of infertility. Had he uh, been asked 10 years ago, I would have told you how he was sovereign through financial crisis in our home when we lost half our net worth when the, the stock market crashed. But here we are in 2017, and the Lord has demonstrated his sovereignty um, to me in an entirely different way over the past year. Many life transitions have occurred in this last year and a half, any one of which would be significant in its own. But God has actually allowed seven pretty major life transitions. But yet he continues to remind me daily that I can trust him, that I can lean on him, and that he is in control even when life feels out of control. It was really hard for me to pick a starting point for this story because there have been so many things. But um, I decided to choose February 2016. It was a really big time in our house because the Panthers had just won and they were going to the Super Bowl. That is a really big deal in our home because we are not Fairweather fans. We uh, rooted for them through the good times, the bad times, and so our home was just really excited. So Wayne woke up that morning, and his mindset going to work was, you know, nothing can ruin this day because the Panthers are going to the Super Bowl. But little did he know that morning, his very first meeting of the day, his boss would come in and say, just wanted to let you know your job's being eliminated. You need to find a new job. Um, when he came home that night and, and he told me, we, while we were surprised, we weren't surprised because that's just kind of the nature of the beast in corporate America. We knew it was going to happen to us. We just didn't know when. However, we didn't think it would be the year our children were going in their senior year of high school and we had college um, coming up. So over the course of um, the next three weeks, Wayne met with over 50 people in the bank that he knew. He networked, you know, he wanted to see what was out there, and just due to the timing of the situation, um, he, his area was one of the very last that was to be downsized, and so there were just no opportunities out there for him. It was really strange because through it all for the first time, um, I would like to say I've had this in a lot of my trials, I had this peace that I could not explain. I knew in my heart that God was in control and that he was going to take care of this situation. The next day in my quiet time, I, um, he took me to Psalm 20, verse 7, that says, Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. And it was our verse that I would cling to through this time, knowing that, that I didn't have to look to eternal things, I mean earthly things, that I could look um, to the Lord to, to see us through this. In addition, the song Sovereign Over Us became my encouragement song. I'd put it on every day just to listen to it, to retrain my mind, to get... Um, you know, have this earth, uh, heavenly perspective versus this uh, earthly perspective. So right after finding about uh, jobs, Wayne, uh, Wayne's job elimination, we had a friend teach Sunday school that day. And he was teaching on Joshua and memorial stones um, that they built the memorial before the Israelites were going into the promised land. So it was really cool because he had gone to the quarry and he brought each of our family um, we were able to take one of these big stones. And so he wanted us to write on it a time when God had been faithful in our lives, um, date it, maybe put in our garden. Well, Wayne said, you know what? We're going to save that stone. We're going to wait until the Lord provides uh, a job for me and gets us through this trial, and that's what our memorial stone is going to be. And I thought, okay, that's really cool. We'll do that because you said to do it. <laughs> um, well, our days became weeks, and our weeks became months. And then four months later, May the 10th came. And Wayne actually had to walk out of the door of the Bank of America after 27 years of service. Honestly, I never thought that day would come. Even though I had a peace, I thought the Lord was going to swoop in at the last moment and say, here's your job, um, you know, and kind of be that save the day, which he did, but in a totally different way than I ever thought he had planned. It was time to, to faith walk and just to trust in him. So when he came home that night, we decided the plan would be he was going to just take the summer off because it was our girls last summer. We thought, oh, this will be really cool. He can spend time with our girls. Then in the fall, he can um, get some contract labor and then probably, you know, look for a full-time job. Then we, because he had been with the bank with so long, he had severance. So we were, you know, we could do this. So we had this kind of plan. So 
you know, I was good. I had a plan. We were moving forward. Um, but Proverbs 16, 9 tells us the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And little did I know that God had a very different plan. Wayne spent the next couple weeks just kind of adjusting to a new routine. Um, those of you who have had husbands go through this type of situation, it's really hard. Um, so he was just trying to figure out what life was going to look like now. And the morning of May the 26th, I received a call from my parents' neighbor saying that my dad had had a stroke and was on his way to the hospital. Sorry, I was really trying to keep the tears at bay. When we got to the hospital, we found that my dad had had a hemorrhagic stroke, which is basically a, a brain bleed. And he was paralyzed on the right side of his body. Although my dad was 80 years old, he was in good health, so we, we were really caught off guard and didn't expect this. Uh, fortunately, he was conscious, and he was able to squeeze our hands, and so we were able to talk to him and just had a really sweet time with him. The next 10 days were ups and downs, and I could tell you so many things that happened that demonstrated God's sovereignty to us, but I've just chosen a couple to highlight, uh, one of which was that week he was uh, moved to the neuro ICU and his swelling began to decrease. So things were looking good. We were trying to look at rehabs and things like that. So we um, originally were supposed to go visit college with Mary Beth. Um, she wanted to go to look at this college called Boys College in Louisville, Kentucky. So because dad was getting better, we made the decision that Wayne and she would just go ahead and go. So they left on a Wednesday, eight hours up there, spent Thursday touring, she loved the school. Um, came back the next Friday, the next very next day, and when they were about 10 minutes from the hospital, I called to let them know that we had been asked to make the decision to take my dad off life support and make him comfortable with hospice. As difficult as it was, it was just one of those little graces that I feel like the Lord gave to us to um, allow us to kind of to think my dad was getting better in order for them to make the trips because Mary Beth is now actually attending Boys College and, and is just thriving there. It was the sweetest 10 days my family spent together. We were able to tell Dad how much he meant to us. We prayed over him. We read scripture. We sang hymns. And he was even able to speak just a little bit. And one day he was saying something to us, and it was, it was a struggle to understand. And finally my niece said, Pa, are you saying I'm in God's hands? And he nodded his head, and he said, yes, I'm in God's hands. And at that point in my spirit, I felt like, hmm, things may not be going the way that I think, thought that they were going to be going. The Lord continually reminded us uh, that he was with us through our pastors, our friends, um, our family. Pastor Clint was one of the first to text Wayne when he heard what was going on. Of course, Gerald was the first to show up at the uh, hospital. We received calls, texts, food, gift cards, even Beth cookies, you know, from the body of Christ, just showing the love of Christ to us. We were surrounded by his love. For so many years, um, as Sunday school teachers, we had been had been spent ministering to others. So it was really precious to be on the receiving end of this. One girl from my class even called and said, hey, I have breakfast for your family. How can I get it to you? And I said, uh, here's my garage code. And we came home that night from the hospital and had breakfast for the next few days, which was just so sweet. If you've never been through something like this, you just really can't understand how much it means for someone to reach out to you and to just let you know they're thinking about you. So as hard as it was, I was thankful Wayne was able to be with us every step of the way. He was available to show for mom, um, take her on errands, get food for us, whatever needed to be done. The Lord knew I was going to need my husband in a way that I had never needed him before and, and allowed him the freedom to minister to us without the, the responsibilities of a job in the back of his mind and having to think through it. And um, my dad passed away on June the 6th when we were all gathered around his bed and my brother was praying. As soon as my brother said amen, my dad had breathed his last breath. I never experienced someone dying, but I'll never forget just the peace and the beauty of how the Lord allowed us to, to witness my dad going from this earthly life into eternity. The day before my dad's funeral, Wayne received a job, job offer from Bank of America. <laughs> Ironically, it was a job where he thought he had had the worst interview. He prayed about it, we talked about it, and he chose to accept that job. But the, the ironic part was um, 
they, he, they wouldn't let him start for two more weeks because they needed to check his um, work experience and background from the same company he's worked with you know, the pri uh, prior 27 years. So we were able to have him two more weeks, and um, he actually restarted with the bank his 28th year anniversary date uh, in June of this last year. Um, the day before, let's see. We had a, okay, so then we had a special family dinner because we wanted to do our, our stone. And so for what we did is we wrote the dates of our trial, when it started, when it ended, the verse, that Psalm 27 that I told you. And then we each, um, all four of us, wrote about what we had learned about God through that particular trial. Our words were constant, unchanging, faithful, and gracious. So while we thought we were through our big trials, we really had no idea what more the Lord had ahead. You know, we like to think of our trials as one big thing to get through, but sometimes it just becomes a series of things that just hammer at us um, because the Lord is testing our faith to produce steadfastness and perseverance, and the end of which is, is Christ-likeness. As it says in James, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may perfect, be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So I take great comfort in knowing that the Lord is doing a sanctifying work in me as well as my family. Throughout this last year, he's continually reminded me of his sovereignty through other events. I feel as if sovereign over us has literally become my life song. We experienced all the first of losing a loved one in addition to the activities of uh, having twin seniors um, in high school. We had our eyes on the end of May uh, 2017. Uh, that was graduation day, but unfortunately we were a little sidetracked because uh, in the beginning of May this year, uh, my grandmother, who is 96 years old, received a leukemia diagnosis. Now, although she was 96, she was in great health. So we were really obviously caught off guard for this too, and she ended up dying 10 days later on Mother's Day. While we were all saddened, it was actually the most joyful funeral I've been to in my whole entire life. She had left us notes. She had left us scriptures. She had um, left us prayers. I think she had been planning to go for a long time, but <laughs> the Lord had a different plan. But it was just so precious to, to have her words minister, and minister to us and comfort us uh, during that time. She was a woman of great faith, ready to meet her Lord and Savior, even though we weren't ready to let her go. Two weeks later, we found out um, it was time for graduation, and we found out that Wayne's mom wasn't going to be able to be with us. She had had some health issues, nothing significant, but um, at this point she was having like appendicitis and was in the hospital. So we made it through graduation, and afterwards we had a few trips planned. So um, my mom took the girls to New York for their graduation present, and I was able to tag along. And then the next week, we ended up doing a family vacation in Disney, and on the way back, we thought, we'll call and see Wayne's mom on the way back because they were right in Hilton Head. So um, when we called, we found out that she had been readmitted to the hospital, and we thought, okay, well, we'll see her. So that was a Friday. We stopped by. We saw her. We hurried home because then we had uh, college orientation in, uh, at Appalachian State for Hannah, so we had to repack and head back up there. Wayne wasn't able to go with us because we had had vacation the week before, so my mom went with us, and we started orientation that day, and at lunchtime, I received a call from Wayne's sister, and she said, you need to find Wayne. He, um, they've told us mom won't make it through the day or tomorrow. Um, so uh, he rushed back down there and got there late afternoon, and she passed away at 11 o'clock that night. Now, my girls weren't with us. Hannah was staying in the dorms. Mary Beth was actually on a mission trip in Pittsburgh, and I didn't want to text them this news, so... Um, it was a long night in that hotel room, but the Lord comforted me through his word. I was so grateful, even though my mom was asleep, <laughs> she was in the bed next to me, and I wasn't alone. And I just knew his presence was so real, and he was just carrying us every step of the way. I was able to get with him the next morning and, um, you know, share with them, and, and then we proceeded from there. The next two weeks were really a blur. Wayne's, mom, Wayne's dad didn't want to do her funeral for like a couple of weeks, which we didn't really understand. I think he was just trying to process what had really happened. So we were blessed in the fact that she was a believer and we were comforted by that. Um, however, her, his dad and his sister are not believers, so we're continuing to pray that the Lord is going to draw them uh, to him through this. We traveled back down the service in July where once again our church family just loved on us. Some of them even drove four hours to be there. Uh, Wayne had said he was doing really, really well until 
all of a sudden our friend started walking through the doors and he said he just could feel the love of God and, and he has never experienced anything like that for them just to be there for us. So the week following the funeral, we leave for Camp Paradise. I'm sure by this point you are thinking, wow, do y'all ever stay home? But um, Wayne and I always volunteered at Camp Paradise, so um, once again we headed back down there to serve, and we had a great week at camp, but it was a little bizarre in that Mary Beth, uh, one of our girls, was sick every morning. She woke up with um, an upset stomach, and come to find out she was dehydrated. And when you go to camp dehydrated, you really can't recover from that. <laughs> so the last day, she still wasn't feeling well. And I was like, well, you know, you can ride with us, but we do have to come home late because, um, you know, we have to help clean up, pack up. And she was like, ah, I think I'll ride the bus. So we were about 30 minutes outside of camp. Uh, Wayne was driving when an SUV ran a double stop sign pulling a boat and broadsided us. Um, had Mary Beth been with us, it would have hit just where she had been sitting. Had I been driving, there might have been a different outcome. And had Wayne not sped up when he saw him coming, there might have been a different outcome. It was as if the Lord's hand has covered the front of the van and just protected us through it all. Our van was totaled. Fortunately, um, the team was still packing up at camp and were able to come and um, rescue us and our luggage on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we had these witnesses that saw everything, so we didn't have to even hardly talk to the police officers. Um, they took care of everything, and they also happened to own a record service. So Wayne said, you know, if you're going to have a wreck in the middle of nowhere, we did it the best possible way. So, um, but we actually, we both knew the Lord really had that too. After returning to Charlotte, we had two weeks to prepare our girls to leave for their freshman year of college. One of my big prayers had been, Lord, please don't let them start the same week, because I could definitely not be in two places at one time. Um, so he allowed Mary Beth to go to Boyce the second week in August and Hannah to go to Appalachian State the third week in August. So we were really thankful for that. And then we ended up ending somehow empty nesters. Um, the time just went by too fast. I don't tell you all of these stories to gain your sympathy or your pity. I tell them to you just as an encouragement to let you know that no matter what has happened over the last year in our lives, the Lord is still in control. He can be trusted and he continues to sanctify us and to teach us. Sunday, it was really funny, the pastor reminded us through Hebrews 12, 11. He said, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And that's what he's doing. He's yielding in us the peaceful fruit of righteousness. In the words of my sweet grandmother would always say, hallelujah and amen. <laughs>